1: Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just
0: hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to the Swell Speed, everybody. So, we're back. Um, It's a little hard to talk about wine right now with all that's going on. We're in the middle of a pandemic amongst some other challenges that are happening right now that are really hard to swallow um hard to watch hard to listen to but it's in our faces constantly um um, for people of color it's racism is always in our face but this is a glaring nightmare and I think everybody knows it everybody feels it and um anyway we do talk about wine we have a special guest her name is Megan Webster and uh, she lives here in D.C. and she does wine marketing. So we hope you enjoy this episode. Cheers. Welcome to Swasti, Megan. <laughs> Thank you. Uh,
2: Megan, how are you? You are a special guest today. I'm great. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much for thinking of me and giving me the opportunity. I'm so excited to get to know you guys a little bit better.
1: Yeah. Oh,
3: you might not say that in my Twitter. Hello. <laughs> oh, we like the sentiment.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh if you're one of Megan's followers, um we are the Swirl Suite. We are uh,
1: a wine podcast most of the time. Um I am Sarita at Vine Me Up. Leslie? I am Leslie at um Bino301 Wine Concierge. I am Tanisha at Girl Meets a Glass, wine
3: tastings, wine tours, wine education, wine drinking
0: <laughs> And Tanisha lives in Paris. Yeah, I you oh, thought, Harris, yeah. in your, like, introduction, in your I've
3: never put that into my... Introduction. I don't know. Why not? I mean, that's
1: just so... That's just... That's the lead. You don't want to step on that. Just- <laughs> I don't know anything about... Because Megan's going to talk to us about marketing, but I at least know that you should lead with that.
2: Yeah, especially if it's, like, a wine-centric country like mm-hmm. that. I would probably be throwing it in there. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I mean, just
0: like um, what's her name? Be like, yeah, I live in Portugal.
2: Portuguese. Portugal is Portugal. Yes. I mean, Do you
1: yes. know she's doing um, she's doing wine tastings on Airbnb. Mm, Wait, mm-hmm. Is
2: that where I, you like pitch yourself as an experience on Airbnb? Yes. Yes. I, I saw that. That's video. perfect. Isn't
1: that great? It's great. Yeah, and I genius. Um, we were um <clears throat> chatting through LinkedIn. And I saw that and congratulate her on that. So, yes, yeah, she's doing that. That's a great.
0: Oh, and everybody, we're talking about Chow McCoy. That is awesome.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's, that's fantastic.
0: Cool. So, Megan, um, tell us about yourself.
2: Yes. Hi. So, I am a marketing manager for and a photographer for wineries. Um, and I, in addition to doing photography, I think I specialize the most in social media strategy. So currently, I am marketing manager for First Batch Hospitality, which is a group that owns two urban wineries. Um, The first is Brooklyn Winery up in Williamsburg in New York, and then the second is District Winery located here in D.C. And I had previously been working as a freelance consultant for wineries with marketing and specifically social media and photography, and District Winery was one of my biggest clients. And then Brooklyn Winery became one of my clients, and then it just eventually made sense for me to be full-time with them, which actually happened like two weeks before the pandemic, and they had oh. to close their wineries. So oh, yeah. it's been a bit of a whirlwind, but I've been a full-time employee with them for the last two months, and before that, I was running my own business, working with wineries, and loving every minute of it. Huh. Very cool.
0: So I read that you studied Italian and sociology um, yeah. in college. How, that's very different from marketing. How? how, And those two things
3: go
2: together. So they certainly do. What led you to marketing? So when I started out in college, the only thing I thought I knew I wanted to do and what I like wrote all my essays about was wanting to understand other people and how people work and how different cultures work. So I actually started out as an international relations major. And then I was taking Italian as my language credit because I knew I wanted to study abroad. And then I took one sociology class and kind of fell in love with that as opposed to international relations because it was a little bit more broad and I could just think about like how groups of people interact with each other. So I studied abroad for a year in Italy and because of like the way that class credits work there, it was easier for me to graduate on time with an Italian studies degree than an international relations degree because I couldn't take like the core classes I needed for the international relations degree. And I was loving Italian. Like I studied Spanish in high school. So Italian came really easy to me. I loved speaking it with Italian people. And I thought I would somehow make a career out of it, which who knows, it's still kind of early in my career. So we'll see um, what happens with that. But like the skill set I was building was understanding how people work. And as I went through college at a liberal arts school, I became very social justice focus and I thought there was no way in hell I was going to use my knowledge to help benefit a company. So I kind of never considered marketing as an option, even though a lot of the knowledge I was gaining is very applicable to marketing, like understanding why people make certain decisions and how you might be able to affect those decisions. And a lot of that is what marketing is. So I eventually moved to D.C. thinking I wanted to work in policy. I got an internship on the Hill, and then I eventually was working at a nuclear security nonprofit where I was on the communications team. And I knew I really loved that, like using social media to get messages across, writing press releases, um, promoting the work that they were doing. But as happens with a lot of people who moved to D.C. from elsewhere, all idealistic and thinking we're going to change the world i became disillusioned pretty quickly with the lack of change it felt like we were able to make as individuals in policy and also in like as an organization that i was working at like we were trying to make the world safer from nuclear weapons and how do even like like what do you i could tweet as much as i wanted but we weren't like changing people's minds about nuclear weapons so it just that and the subject matter became really depressing. Oh, and the presidential election happened in the middle of the time I was working there. So we went from like working on initiatives by President Obama on nuclear security issues to Trump being elected and saying things like we need to be in a new arms race. So work just became really toxic really fast. And I was looking for an outlet, like something creative that would make me feel better on the side. So I started working with small businesses in D.C. with at the time I called communications, but really I was helping them with marketing and um, I could go on. um, I just wanted to get to this main first part of your question about Italian and sociology, but the evolution of it was I had skills that helped me understand how people made decisions. And then um, that I realized once I kind of switched industries in DC that that was applicable to marketing for, uh, you know, like for profit and What I found when I switched over to that world is that you can still have an effect on your community, even if you're not like working for a nonprofit specifically. So I found like I would do a promotion on social media for a client or for district winery. And then like we would see results, like people would come to the winery, they would enjoy the wine and food on the waterfront. And it was so different than working in the policy world where like you do stuff for years and years and it takes like decades to see results. So I think... I was better suited for this fast-paced marketing world where you can see tangible, numerical results from your work.
1: Well, so oh, I have a question. I'm sorry, Sarita. Yeah. Oh no. Go ahead. So, you know, part of the wine tasting experience when you go to a winery, what have you, is the enjoying the the views, the vistas, da 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 da. And so the winery, the district winery, is in a very urban setting. So do you have that concern when people come? I mean, obviously, the district winery is very popular and people enjoy going there. But how do you kind of overcome that when you're marketing um, to people about this winery?
2: That's a really good question because... We obviously don't have like rolling vineyards around the property the way that Mm -hmm. Virginia Wineries or other wine regions do. Um, So it is an interesting challenge working for an urban winery, but we are really fortunate in that we are based right on the waterfront in Navy Yards. So we Mm -hmm. have beautiful sweeping views. And I think that kind of makes up for some of that lack of vineyard view because you can see the water from the tasting bar. You can see it from the restaurant. And then you can see it from the second floor event space, which is yeah. where we host weddings. And it is the most beautiful wedding experience with the terrace and the waterfront view.
0: I remember seeing one of your posts and, and you were and you, you said you were at District Winery. I was like, wait a minute, why are you so high up? Where are you? I've been yeah. to District Winery and I don't remember that view, but that second floor, even though it's not that high, it's a gorgeous view
2: yeah it actually is the third floor so we have the first floor is the restaurant and the tasting bar and the winery production space and then the second floor is sort of like a mezzanine level where we have reception for various private events and then the third floor is the private event space where we host Mm -hmm. full weddings and corporate events and it has that wraparound terrace that goes around the building
1: it's gorgeous it's very nice not (laughs) a bad place
2: to work when i can actually be working there in person (laughs) I haven't for two months.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so how did you go from, um, so full-time, you have your DC job, and then you're helping out smaller organizations through marketing and communications. How did you go full-time to marketing?
2: Um, yeah, so I it's not a path I could have ever predicted for myself. Back in November 2017, when I was still full-time at that nuclear nonprofit, I had So the other side of the story is that I have this creative Instagram that I started five years ago, just for fun, for like recipe and food styling purposes called Meg's Eggs. And it was just because I used to make eggs for breakfast every day. And then I tried to make them pretty. And then a friend joked like, you should start an Instagram for this. So I did. And it became this sort of like practice lab for creating a pretty Instagram presence, using it strategically, trying to build followers and trying to drive web traffic. Like once I created a website for it. So back then I would partner with local businesses on posts. Like I would do a, a dedicated recipe to promote a small business from Union Kitchen in D.C. to give them some exposure. And through that, I developed some relationships with small food businesses and startups in D.C. who were like, we don't have time to try to understand how Instagram works. Do you have any tips for us or can I pay you to help me with something like this or to take some photos? So it was sort of an organic beginning of that where i just started doing it on the side of my job for fun because i was enjoying meeting these people who were like in a totally different part of dc than i was used to like had nothing to do with politics and policy and it was really nice especially like as the nuclear policy world was kind of ratcheting up with trump being elected so that is what snowballed into me once i worked with a few clients in the beginning i started to feel more comfortable pitching myself to more established food businesses in dc um and that eventually led me to apply for the contract to do district winery social media which was a pretty large freelance contract it made up like half of the work i was doing once i got the contract and Mm. i had not worked in wine marketing before that i had done like food marketing for these small businesses and i had my egg instagram which is Showed that I was good at Instagram, but had nothing to do with wine. And then I had the communications experience from my job, but that was all about like policy. So I they took a chance on me, and thank goodness they did because I have ended up loving it. I've really grown into it, and it obviously has ended up working out. I'm actually coming up on two years with them this month. So that was the first wine marketing experience, which I loved. And then because I was feeling more confident, pitching myself to larger businesses in DC. I then applied to work with chef Nicholas Stefanelli who owns the restaurants Masseria and Oficina here in DC and while they obviously are not wineries they are um, high-end dining establishments with really nice wine programs so it was a really good crash course for me and photography of wines that I probably could never afford myself like found myself photographing Dom Perignon bottles next to Michelin starred Food, and it was just such a good exposure to wines that I wouldn't have known about otherwise. And through that, I started to realize that what I loved the most was the wine side of things.
0: So when you said pitch, um, what exactly did you do to pitch you, uh, pitch yourself to these companies?
2: Right. Well, sometimes they would put out annou- an announcement that they were looking for help with marketing. So with both district winery and, Bossaria and Oficina, that's what they had done. And both of them first had promoted like a part time employee position. And then with both of them, when I presented myself as an option, as a freelancer, it became clear that it would be a large freelance contract as opposed to me being a part time employee for them. But then in other cases, I would identify a company that I really wanted to work with as a freelancer. And I would either do like soft promotion, which is when I would like Like all of their Instagram posts a lot and comment on their posts and try to get them to notice me, which works, you guys. Like, I can't believe it works, but it does. That's how some clients have found me. Or I will take a more aggressive approach and actually send them an email and say, Hey, this is my expertise. I was wondering if you need any help with it and let me know if you do. And that has worked too.
1: So, So that's very interesting that you don't have a wine background because I think. People just make the assumption like, oh, she's, you know, she studied wine and what have you. Um, So how was that? Like, did you get wine for dummies or you were just like, I know social media and I can help you and I'll, I'll pick up that knowledge as we go along.
2: So with the district winery being my first wine focused client, I So I quit my full-time job to take that on and then continue Mm -hmm. being a freelancer full-time. So when I did that, which was huge for me, like I never thought I would be a freelancer with my own business. So it was a huge undertaking to do that. And I kind of went crazy with research once I gave notice at my job and planned to take that. So Mm -hmm. I watched documentaries. I read so many resources. I kind of overthink that kind of thing. So I was reading as much as I could. And then so much of it was learning on the job. Like I came in, they had me taste the wines, they had me experience the winery tour that they do. And by working with them and asking questions constantly, that's how I started to learn like the the more technical stuff that you need to know to be able to talk about wine comfortably. And on the side of that, my boyfriend and I had, started to really get into wine in mm-hmm. our personal lives at the same time so we were just drinking a lot more different wines that year too so my knowledge was expanding that way just by exposing myself more and then yeah. so district winery was a huge exposure to those things just by working with them and then with Maseria and Ovichina I really had to know my stuff a little bit better because like from the very beginning photo shoot I had to like I didn't know what chateauneuf to Pop was and I needed to Google a lot of words that their psalm would send me in preparation for photo shoots. And it just became a lot of like self taught knowledge in the beginning. And then once I really started to focus my business on wine last summer, that's when I've done a lot more of like entrenching myself in regular wine news and resources to mm-hmm. feel like an actual professional. But I haven't done like WSET wine training, which is something on my list that I definitely need to do to make myself more credible as a wine professional.
1: Well, I think also probably you provide a perspective um, or a lens from someone who's not in the industry, but enjoys wine. And so Mm -hmm. there's a perspective that you can provide that, like anybody who really enjoys wine, that's what they're looking for when they um, want to have an experience or go out and have a great meal and a wine pairing.
2: Totally, and it, depending on the audience of your winery, like that kind of describes the audience for district winery. Mm-hmm. We definitely have patrons who are educated in wine, but I would say the majority of people who end up visiting the restaurant or the tasting bar are people who know they like wine, but they don't really know what they like about wine. And then we help them learn some of the vocabulary that they need. Yeah, very cool.
0: I, um, I was on a webinar probably a week ago and it was a public relations webinar. And so this really famous um, PR lady, she has a, she has her own firm. She was just giving advice to a bunch of people who are in PR, that's not me. But I was like, I'm sure I can learn something in here. And it was very interesting, their conversation. Um, I Two questions for you. Um, how much of your job is public relations and how do you remain sensitive during all that we're going through to handle other companies' social
3: media?
2: Yeah, those are both really good questions. So on the the percentage of things being PR, there's a really interesting balance between marketing and PR and I think a lot of people confuse the two sometimes. The public relations side is when you're trying to get media to pay attention to you and write about you Um, and that is not the same as like social media marketing. However, When you're working with like influencers and you're like researching influencers and running a campaign and inviting them to something, it does sort of blend into that PR category. So in the beginning, when I was social media consulting for people and they would ask me to plan an influencer campaign for them, I was essentially doing a lot of PR for clients like that because the point was to get exposure in these channels that we did not own. Whereas with marketing, we're obviously promoting what we offer on our own channels like social media and website and email and whatnot. So back then I was doing it in sort of informal ways like that. And then when I went full time with First Batch Hospitality, the company I'm with now, that was sort of like actual PR management was baked into my job description. So instead of working with a PR firm right now, like I'm helping my boss draft press releases and then we have a media list that we update um, ourselves. So when we have a new offering, like when we launched virtual tastings, we did a PR push. On our own, so it's not like a large percentage of my overall work right now, but it definitely is something that our marketing team is responsible for currently. Gotcha. And then the second half of your question, I'm glad you brought up. I meant to bring it up at the beginning of the interview. the The times that we are living through right now, with the first layer of the pandemic, which has its own level of crisis communications that you have to do when you manage marketing for a brand, and then layering on top of that everything that has gone on these past few days, certainly challenging. Um, I felt like I was just kind of getting my feet stable with how to post on social media during a pandemic as a business. And we were finally adapting to that. And then this weekend, obviously, we had to scrap a lot of the content that we had planned because it would appear totally insensitive if we were posting about like our virtual tastings yesterday when important things are happening in DC, so. Mm -hmm we had a long team meeting today with my company to talk about how we would address what's going on on our feeds and we actually just were able to share our statements condemning police brutality right before i hopped on here it was well Um, done i read it yeah thank you it's a group effort to you know get the language right and make sure we're being sensitive and consulting multiple people so it's not just like me by myself writing it um so it, it does take time and we know you know we get comments from people wondering when we're gonna say something and i think people forget that there's a large team of people and I, as the social media manager, I'm not the owner of a business, so there's a lot of collaboration involved in getting it right, because we do want to make sure we don't just put something out that is intended to be sensitive but ends up being insensitive. So I was very happy to get that on our agenda today. And then just in general, I want to say, it's been a really good learning experience for me this weekend, seeing the protests happen hearing people explain what has driven them to feel that it was so necessary to get out there this weekend and then understanding for myself like the parts of it that make me feel a little anxious or uncomfortable and why that is and trying to learn how I can be a better ally and not be as anxious about some of the things that like property damage that you might naturally gravitate towards saying like that detracts from the message of a protest or it's not great but then I have been challenging myself to stop thoughts like that and think through like, what are the underlying things that drive people to feel like this was their only option, even during a pandemic this weekend. So.
1: I think, um, my brother had, uh, my brother's a big Trevor Noah fan. I mean, I I like him too, but, um, he had this great post on Facebook and if anybody has a chance to see it, they should listen to it. But basically what he said was, um, Our society is based upon social rules and contracts that are unwritten. And like what
2: sociology is.
1: Yes. And when those contracts are violated, then especially the people who are oppressed and they feel violated, when they act outside of those contracts, People should not be surprised because they were initially violated silently and their display of the looting or property damage or whatever you want to call it is a reaction to it. And so why should you hold them responsible for a social contract that the society did not upheld in the beginning? And I thought that was the best way of explaining it, not saying looting is wrong, not saying looting is right, but there are things that happen in our world that we need to be conscious of. And if we don't abide by the the unspoken rules of behavior, then there are results and you should not be surprised by those results.
2: I think that's a really good analysis of it. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah,
0: whoever writes for Trevor Noah. I mean,
1: oh,
0: yeah. oh my
2: God.
1: Oh my God. <laughs> did you know he
0: has a movie coming out, a by the way? About his life? Oh, no. About his
1: life. Well, I yeah. read his book. It, it can definitely be a movie. That's the, yeah, they're making mm-hmm. it into a movie. Yes. And Lupita is playing his mother. Well, yes. And I sign say me up. Yeah. Mm hmm. <laughs>
0: so Megan back to you really quick Um, I'm sorry oh no that
2: was that was awesome no no I'm glad Um, we talked about that that's like all I've been able to think about all day so it would have been crazy to not talk about it absolutely um
0: so you kind of fell into this career um what kind of advice would you give someone who actually wants you a job like wants to do what you do
2: right Yeah. yeah and But you put it exactly how I was going to say, which is that I sort of stumbled into this unexpectedly by following my interests as a young professional and um, feeling out what inspired me. But there are people who are younger who might have more of a clear path um, to getting here. So. I know that people like my boss started out working in marketing in the tourism industry. And if you do that in an area that has a wine industry, then you often end up working with wineries and gaining expertise in winery marketing as well. So that's how she ended up being our director of marketing. Cause she had that expertise before she joined district winery. So that's one avenue. The other thing that makes it difficult is that a lot of wineries don't have budgets for like a marketing team or even a full-time marketing person. So there's not a ton of jobs out there that you'll find that are like a full-time marketing job, unless you're looking at some huge winery group. Um, And if you really love wine and supporting small wineries, then that might not appeal to you necessarily. So what I would recommend from there is to feel out smaller wineries. And if they have like smaller budgets for a freelance contract and work with multiple, small wineries if you can and get a feel for that. If if you want to be supporting small wineries, I mean, I, people have different interests and drives in the wine industry, but if I was to do it again and I knew this is what I wanted to do, I probably would lean towards that path in the beginning because it in addition to getting the wine marketing and photography experience that I have, it also was so educational to learn how to be a freelancer and like write a contract for myself and manage a client and, you know, be my own boss. So I think that is a really valuable part of my career to have.
1: I just think it's great that you were like, I'm
2: going to be a freelancer. Numerical watch. analysis that went into it behind the scenes. Like I would have never done it if I didn't think I could pay my bills. I'm not, I didn't have like a safety net set up or, you know, a bunch of savings where I could just like afford to risk. My income, I waited until by the time I left my full time job, I was making enough money with freelance on the side where it was like its own second part time job. And then getting the district winery contract helped kind of solidify that into more full time income. And that's when I felt comfortable doing it and like telling my mom that I was doing it (laughs) because there's no way she would have been okay with me just leaving a full time job with benefits to do this. Because that's the other side of it, right? Is once I left my job, which I should have realized how nice the health insurance was at the time. They had like an amazing plan. And then from that to go to the DC exchange and pay for my own not so great health plan. There's a lot of considerations there that you have to think about when you go freelance. So it was, it was a risky thing to do, but if I had done it at any other time in my life, it might not have been right. But since I didn't have kids yet and a lot of health, um, you know, expenses at the time, then it would have been more difficult, but I was able Mm to, make that happen at a young age when it was perhaps less risky so
0: um, are there any tips that can you can give little us Um, just like the wine professionals that have our Instagram have our Twitter and our Facebook are there like
2: if you do you need a, a nice camera to boost our Instagram any tips for us so that is a great question about the camera I think there's a lot of things you can do with a phone camera, especially as they become higher and higher quality these days. Um, so like most social media marketing, I think could get by with just a phone camera. When it comes to marketing though, you know, social media is just one piece of the puzzle. So there's a lot of other things that you need high quality photos for, at least you know, in my line of work, we need high quality images for the online stores for our wineries. Mm-hmm. Um, those need to be pretty high res. We need like high quality, wide oriented website banners, which are difficult to get on a phone at that high of resolution. You often need to print materials like brochures or, you know, cards for winery events. So you need high quality photography for that. So I do still think there's a need for DSLR photography and working with expert photographers to save yourself time because you know, it does take time to learn how to use a DSLR camera. I'm self-taught with that as well. so <laughs> it, it was a long process, but you know, it is really fulfilling to do. It's nice that I can like fi- work my way around the camera and I do still use it quite a bit. Um, but, you know, as an individual wine professional, there are ways you could get by without that. I think if you have someone do a professional headshot of you and you're just doing your own photography with your phone, I think that's not the worst thing. <laughs>
1: So what are the, what are like the top two mistakes people make in social media?
2: It's hard to narrow it down to the top two. <laughs> I feel like part of how I ended up in this industry is because I have a lot of strong feelings about what a good social media presence should be. Mm-hmm. And I'm able to convey that to people. So what, you know, when it comes to wine brands, one of my biggest pet peeves and just businesses in general is when they don't interact with people. Like you as a big fan of XYZ winery post a picture of yourself enjoying a glass of their wine and you're so excited to be enjoying it. And then that winery, like they see you, you know, you tag them in your story so you can see if they opened it and saw it. And then it just says seen and then they never like it. They never respond to it. They mm-hmm. Like they, leave they don't even ran. have to share it to their Either. story. But even to just not be like, thank you so much for trying our wine. Like it just. It bothers me so much that people don't take the time to do that because social media for businesses is a form of customer service. So you have to treat it like a hospitality interaction. You wouldn't like let someone walk into your tasting room and then not thank them for coming. And I think when someone is posting like free promotion about your product on their own social feed and tagging you because they love it so yeah. much to ignore it is really rude and bad. Do we'll you know that practices. that
0: dictates that dictates if I even post a picture or not? If that no, happens to me, really? if, they, if they leave me and read or they see my stuff and don't respond or don't do something, um, it really dictates whether I'm going to post
2: their stuff again. Wow. That is so interesting to me. I might like ask to interview about that for my marketing blog because I make statements about this all the time, but it's really nice to hear anecdotal evidence from other people that that is a true factor and like, whether they you're developing brand loyalty. And if you're not doing a good job with that kind of customer service, then you're losing out on brand loyalty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that lack of interaction is one of the biggest mistakes for sure. Um, not tracking analytics is probably another huge one for me, especially managing social media for businesses. I think a lot of people think that because you have your own personal Instagram that you like know how to do social media professionally and they don't think through like business goals that should be associated with social media efforts and how you can track effectiveness of it like it's so much more than just posting a pretty picture right especially for a winery like you should be looking at how many people not just like that post or follow you but how many people are buying your wine because of your social media efforts how many people are trying to book a private event with you like there are ways to use social media for these tangible results. And I think a lot of people write social media off because they don't track these things and figure out the best way for their winery to get those results. So then they think that social media doesn't get you results, but like I can tell you all the wineries I work with, how many sales we generate from Instagram versus Facebook every year. And the, you know, the wedding leads that we generate through our efforts. So the, I think the second biggest mistake there is not having a results based social media presence
1: there's so many analytical tools now yeah yeah um i personally i use planally mm-hmm. am i saying that right for you know, I Insta- yeah I, I don't know i don't know how they came up with that name but anyhow. <laughs> um i use that to to help plan out my posts and track it but i think at, at one point you just become so overwhelmed mm-hmm. with the different tools out there and um in the tracking mm-hmm. what would you recommend is is there one a centralized tool and two um if you only had time to track one analytic what would you track
2: ooh that's a good question so as far as centralized tools I use Planally for all of the first batch ho- hospitality accounts right now for Instagram mm-hmm. specifically. So I do all of our scheduling through Planoly, and then I do our analytics tracking through them as well. They've actually like really ramped up the level yeah. of detail they give mm-hmm. you with analytics in the last few months. And I'm also saying that they're allowing people to post automatically to Facebook and Twitter now. And it's not as oh, advanced as if you like, oh, nice. Directly from within Facebook or Twitter. It's not uh-huh. like, you know, built. Um, for those platforms, but yeah. if you, wanted if, if Instagram was your main platform that you use, which is what Planoly is built best for, but you still wanted to drive stuff to Facebook and Twitter, then I think Planoly is probably a really good option for you. Mm-hmm. And then a close second to that is Later, which mm-hmm. lets it schedule to Instagram or Facebook or Twitter and I think Pinterest now too and it definitely prioritizes Instagram but they do a better job of creating posts for Facebook and Twitter okay. mm-hmm. and up until recently their analytics for Instagram far surpassed Planoly's and other oh, okay. app, Instagram analytics so I was recommending later for analytics purposes to people for a long time. But I think Planoly is easier to use as a tool. So that's why I like it for Instagram. Mm -hmm. Um, And then for Facebook, I use the analytics that they give you on your Facebook page because it is actually really comprehensive. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: And then Twitter is kind of a crapshoot because it's not as effective of a platform for my wineries. So I just take the analytics I can get. from there. And then remind me of your second question. Um,
1: if you were to track one oh, yeah. analytic like maybe two, like would you track open rate engagement rate mm-hmm. Very good shares question. what 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 is like what is quite honestly what's the money maker like mm. how do you track that back to yeah, we sold a bottle because of this. <laughs>
2: So all of my wineries use Google Analytics for their websites. Okay. And then when we are sharing links on social media, we always use trackable UTM links, which are like a marketing way to track what source people ended up on your website from. So we tag our URLs with either like Facebook post or Instagram post or tweet. That way in Google Analytics, when we look at our web traffic and our wine sales data, we know whether those purchases came from like an Instagram story or an Instagram mm, post mm-hmm. or a Facebook post. So as far as like the number one metric to track for us, it's always that end goal, which is either dollars or wedding like event leads, because that's Mm -hmm. like, you know, the the revenue associated with a private event is a lot higher than a wine bottle. So that's really important for us too. Um, And then email signups is another one. So all those things that happen on the back end after someone has already clicked to your website are like the most important And then second to that, as far as the things that you can track from like Instagram itself would be web traffic probably, because that's what gets people to, that's like the previous step before all of those other things. Mm -hmm. So likes are really nice. Like I love getting a lot of likes on a post. I like seeing people save our posts or share it. That helps with the algorithm. And obviously gaining followers looks good for a brand reputation standpoint, but What matters most, no matter how many followers you are, is what like which metrics are helping your business goals itself. Hmm. Which for us are wine sales and event leads.
0: Interesting. So if you're like us and you don't necessarily have mm, God, I don't wanna I don't wanna say we don't have a business goal. Of course we have one, but it's very different than wine sales. Right. (laughs) What do you think like podcasters in general? um what do you think their focus should be on social media
2: if, so if your goal is to get more downloads of the podcast or subscribers i would set that as like the top level goal and then the secondary to that would be probably web traffic of sending people to the url for your mm-hmm. podcast right mm-hmm. um so that would probably be the most important as far as a podcast is concerned but i have never hosted a podcast so i don't know if you have other goals that are different <laughs> than that <laughs>
0: No, it's driving so, traffic. It's driving yeah. traffic. Yeah. I mean, because, yeah. um, sponsorship is the angle, um, which is right. dollars. So,
2: right. And do, so when sponsors are deciding whether to work with a podcast, are they looking at like average listens per episode or are they looking at total subscribers? Um, it really
0: depends on the sponsor. Um, okay. sometimes it's most of the time it's listenership like how many people are listening to you week after week okay they just want to see consistent Consistent. yeah Mm yeah
2: yeah so I mean that that's probably what you could set as your top goal like if you set up google analytics for the wherever you host your Mm -hmm. episodes from your website you could try to look at like weekly listenership as your top goal and then use that to kind of determine the rest of your social media strategy.
0: I have a, a small confession. Uh, <clears throat> so I work a government job as my 95. And I applied for a, a very short detail in a communications office doing social media. Cool. Hated it. Hated it.
1: What? Really? Really?
0: Full t- First of all, working in social media for a government agency or a corporation is very different than working your personal social media. You do that yeah. on your own time. When you are nine to five social media with no break, it is not fun. And it's really? not your rules. You're not posting anything fun. There are all uh, of these rules that you have to follow. And it, I hated it. So I was like, well, I thought, I thought I was good at this, but no, it's, Mm -mm. and it's very fast it's there is no time to think you have to put out content like mm, one after the other it's yeah and it's probably more like twitter focused right Um, yes yeah yeah it was very twitter focused um there was some pinterest also but really yeah yeah
1: that was yeah i was in i was in charge of pinterest huh I, I mean, Pinterest. Okay. I think a lot of people sleep on Pinterest. Let me just say that. I don't um, know why that's where all the, the moms are right. in yeah, Pinterest, and, and Pinterest. Someone told me years ago, Pinterest is second to Google. Like yeah. everything is searchable in Pinterest. So
2: yeah. If you it's are not on Pinterest, think of Pinterest as a social media platform, cause it's really like a visual search engine. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes, exactly. Yes. 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 If you yeah. are not on Pinterest, you need to get on Pinterest. Yeah. Um, but I never equated Pinterest with a government agency. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would yeah. have
2: never thought that either. What kind of content were you pinning? Uh,
0: health-related content. Yeah.
2: Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, that would make sense. I could see yeah. that a little bit more. I was yeah. thinking like policy-related yeah. stuff. Man. Yeah, I was like, no. how
1: does that translate? <laughs> uh, how do the nuclear codes translate into? Yeah, translate. That? Right. <laughs> way right to build a bomb. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, we tried
2: to launch a Snapchat filter back when I was at that nuclear nonprofit mm-hmm. and I convinced my bosses to pay for a Snapchat filter for a conference and like five people used it. And I was like, yeah. why am I wasting my fun millennial energy like, <laughs> <laughs> on media that is going completely over the heads of everyone? So being able to focus on Instagram primarily has been really fun me working in social media. If I still worked somewhere, where I had to be on Twitter all day for work, I'd probably lose my mind. But yeah. there's something about Instagram that just connects with me, I think, because it's so visual. And yeah. mm-hmm. um, I just love getting to do it for work. It, it, it combines my creative side, a bit of my design side and photography and the strategic analytics of everything.
1: Now, what about TikTok? I was just going to (laughs) ask you guys about
2: it. You don't need to ask us,
3: girl. No, we good.
2: So I kind of lurk on TikTok. I have an account to see how people are using it, and I think it's hilarious. I love watching other people's videos. I have, like, a social media crush on Tabitha, who runs recipe videos. Do you guys follow Tabitha? Yeah. She's amazing. When I'm, like having a really bad pandemic day i just go to her tiktok and watch like 10 of her videos in a row because she has the most relaxing voice. um so yeah i'm a lurker on tiktok i don't think it's right for me to use it for any of my clients brands yet but i'm keeping an eye on it in case for some reason we would feel compelled to eventually use it but tell me what you guys think about it
0: so i'm on there um i think i'm like the i'm like the test monkey for social media for this group like <laughs> you absolutely I'll, are. I'll try it you um, are the gosh, That's What is herbal so are I'm you really creating
2: a- content for it
0: mm-hmm. i have a few videos up oh do you okay. really uh-huh. mm-hmm. but they're I, food, really it's it's making it's it's recipes making food okay. um and i i use some of the the little bells and whistles and you know i added text and i used the music and i was like okay uh I don't know. It just seems like an extra effort that I don't feel like right. I I don't know. It seems like a lot. It's a lot right now
3: to do is, Instagram. But
0: you know
1: what?
3: What, what girl, girl what?
1: <laughs> what I'm what I'm saying is if you were looking for exposure, there's not a lot of content on TikTok. I even know. though Yeah. But with wait, with why? I, yeah, I
0: know I cook and that's cute, but with
2: wine, how will we incorporate There that are statistics? wine influencers already on TikTok. Well, what are they doing? It's a few on it's, there. It's sort of like they're like trying to be funny about drinking wine during quarantine. That's what I've seen so far. Is like there'll funny? be a meme going around about like, I've seen one. Have you heard the one that's like January, February, March, March? March because like March oh, went on forever with the pandemic. Gotcha. Uh, there's videos of people throwing wine corks into a bowl, and as they go through the months, it's like there's one wine cork and then two wine cork, and then it gets to March and it's like you're dumping wine corks into the bowl because yeah, like, I have to be
0: I, I have to be drunk to come up with something like that.
2: That's right? Not yeah, my I brain just doesn't think that way. Like, yeah. Right.
0: So okay.
2: Um, All right. I like to consume the content there because I think people are really smart and good at video editing, but I know that's not a strength of my own. Yeah. Yeah. My boss has hired me because I use Instagram and kind of natively understand it. And I think someday when I'm a marketing boss, I'm gonna have to hire a kid mm-hmm. to do TikTok mm-hmm. for my brand. Yeah,
0: yeah,
2: because I can't do it. Leslie, Tanisha, what
1: do y'all think about TikTok? I set an alarm, <laughs> like, because I do what? to <laughs> stop watching TikTok videos. <laughs> Are you serious? I can. not that's into oh. the vortex of um, TikTok. Yes. I'm like, I have things to do with my time. What are yeah, you watching? Just, I mean, they just like in my feed or what have you. And I just keep on going to the next one, to the next one, to the next one. I just keep on scrolling. That's but they're so different. They're so drastically different, these videos. So
3: But
0: the all of them are captivating. understand what you like. No,
2: like, they you are. Them. I, I, you I know which one. ones yeah. you're interested in. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. All right.
1: Okay. Yeah no
3: I've never been on it (laughs) really there's
1: that never I mean I've seen other people's videos
3: because people like would just send me like oh look at this video look at this video but I, I don't have the app downloaded I've never just scrolled through I have no idea what the interface looks like nothing Because if I get in, I know me. I know my personality. I'll Mm. be hooked forever and can't get off. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) There's this this one video. Well, see, that's the problem. People on TikTok also post their videos on Instagram. So why do I need to go to TikTok? So that's what keeps me away. Mm -hmm. But there's this one video. Have y'all seen the one where the kids are hitting their parents with a book bag? like accidentally. So the kid is in the passenger seat and the parent is in the driver's seat and they're on the phone or not like paying half attention. And so the kid is getting something out of the back
1: seat. And
0: these are different videos. I don't know what challenge it is. Oh,
1: I did see that one. I saw one of them. It's
0: Mm -hmm. so funny. It's almost like boiling point. Like how many times can I hit you with this bag before you lose it? (laughs) <laughs> I did oh, that and they TikTok. just keep on
1: like pulling up pulling stuff from the back seat see yes that's why I set an alarm oh my gosh yeah. that's funny
0: so I like it I like it but I a lot of times I just don't have the energy to post content on there
2: yeah and yes. it's interesting to see how brands are getting into it I think you almost if you have a product that you can get some influential tiktoker to use that's almost a better strategy than trying to have your own consistent brand presence on Mm. the platform
3: Mm -hmm. Mm.
0: interesting yeah
2: a lot of like there was this dance group these guys who are really good at i don't even know the right kind of dance almost kind of hip-hop but not really um, and they would have like an energy drink in some of their videos for a long time. And not that mm. I drink energy drinks or would purchase it because of them, but I just noticed that that was an interesting product placement that a lot of brands were trying with TikTok in the beginning. Hmm. You know yeah. what I noticed?
0: A lot of um, wineries are, well, they've been doing this for a while, but I'm starting to see more wineries, wines in movies and TV shows.
2: Oh, yeah. What yeah. Was the one I was just seeing? There was a recent movie... That I think had Kendall Jackson wine everywhere. Yeah. I can't remember what it was. What have you guys seen?
1: I was, I just started watching Dead to Me. Oh, I was going to say that when? one. What wine yeah. was that?
2: I saw Jordan. Jordan in
3: there a bunch of yeah. times. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. yep. Jordan yeah. Jordan a bunch of times. And yes. Empathy. Mm-hmm. Empathy wine
1: yes. to be in there. So. Yeah.
3: I, I mean, label it was just
1: like, properly oh, placed. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm.
3: Just perfect. Yeah. Not yeah. taken away from the scene, but you could notice it and be like, huh, Jordan, eh? Let mm-hmm. me go right. see. What that's yes. hmm. Yep.
2: I love paying attention to those
0: things. <laughs> uh, so, next question. Um, so, right now, everybody's still at home, and it seems like everybody's using a similar formula. Everybody's doing virtual tastings. Your pics are outside in your yard. They're selfies. Um, Do you have any other tips that wine professionals can use to stand out?
2: Yeah, so I was thinking about this. The number one thing that I would recommend is thinking about the experience of a virtual tasting and trying to stand out as someone who's providing a higher quality virtual tasting experience. Before we launched virtual tastings for our wineries, we did a lot of research to see like what was making virtual tastings fun, what was making them awkward, what was making them kind of boring, and what made them look more professional versus kind of haphazard. And we like came up with criteria and then devised a Facebook Live strategy with this really nice software that makes it has like a you know a Chiron thing on the bottom and lets me like pan around to different people on screen. So we worked really hard to make it an experience that was worth buying four bottles of wine for. Because our goal is to sell wine so that people will tune into it. So if we're expecting people to pay money every week to join us for this, we wanted it to feel like they were watching a high quality product. And also we work really hard to make them interactive. I've noticed with a lot of virtual tastings I've tuned into that it can feel like an anonymous webinar almost where mm-hmm. they like don't pay attention to what the viewers are saying in the chat or you know saying about the wines. Or, I mean, that's what ends up happening with a lot of the Instagram live ones, too, where it's like two people on the screen on top of each other. Because you can post comments in the little chat thing, but they go by really fleetingly, and you're more just watching a conversation between two other people. And I find myself exiting out of those faster than if, like, I am being brought into the conversation more. So that that's the one thing, I think, to stand out, is to offer an experience that's actually fun and engaging for people. Um, you know, so I always, like, you know
0: what you guys should do? You know how everybody's been doing these like music battles? Would you ever battle another winery? Ooh, battle how? Um,
1: I don't know. You could, um, I mean, like, you could do different vintages. Mm-hmm. Like, you know how you would do, maybe you could, you know, you would do a lateral tasting.
2: Yeah,
3: Yeah. different vintages or different grapes that Mm you all both have. Um, Yeah,
2: but yeah, I do think that's a fun, yeah, that's a great idea. Another thing I was thinking is like playing with different kinds of content like videos and animations could be a fun Mm. way to stand out. So especially for wine professionals like you guys where you have a bit more individualized of a social media presence. Like you were saying, a lot of people are taking cute pictures outside or in their back patio with their wine, and that does start to look kind of similar after a while. So if you played with like a stop motion or a, the different ways of taking videos of pouring wine, just things that add like action and motion, even to a picture, you know, like I think the most fun pictures are ones where like the wine is literally being poured, or you can see someone grabbing for a glass instead of just like a posed portrait mm-hmm. of a bottle glass of wine.
3: So
2: playing with motion and action in that way could be fun and then oh so another thing that I always harp on with social media is the use of Instagram stories because I think a lot of people forget that they were created to give people like a storytelling format as opposed Mm -hmm. to just like another place to post like a a one picture you know so yeah Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people could stand to think a little bit more creatively about like a story from start to finish like how you kind of have an introduction to what you're about to show and then you have the whole process of something and then like having a way that you conclude it or let people know that you're done with that little session. Um, I always try to think about that when I'm doing stories for the wineries that I work for just because stories can get really long and I think when people click onto a story and see like 30 slides they might like tap off eventually and not watch the whole thing so if you give mm-hmm. people a narrative to follow while you're doing it i think that can be a fun way to keep people a little bit more engaged and just using like video and all the different story button features you can do like polls and quizzes and um they keep adding new buttons every day i
3: can't really mm-hmm. keep up with them
2: but the more you can make it interactive and narrative than just like a slideshow of unrelated images yeah so a fun thing we could all do more
0: very good suggestions. Denisha. any questions for
3: Megan? No questions for me. You all got it. You don't
2: <laughs>
1: ask. Any more questions, Leslie, before we close? No, now? I really appreciate um, Megan taking the time and uh, chatting with us today. Yeah. Of uh-huh.
3: course. Yes. Get our social media game up. First. Oh man, I'm telling exactly. you <laughs>
1: exactly. Yeah.
2: I love talking Oh we about just hire stuff? Megan,
1: you know, one of the others. There you go. There
2: hey. you go. <laughs> like we to the floor, Megan. <laughs> Megan We're can- getting better about charging for my services. <laughs> Which is that was a learning curve from starting out.
0: I just, oh, I think I that's think all, all of us. All, all yeah. of us.
2: Yeah. Yeah, all started there. Free tastings like, oh, well, I could just add this
3: in, or I can just do this part. It's okay, mm-hmm. it's not that big. Now it's an upcharge for everything. Oh, yeah,
2: because mm-hmm. we know how much work it all is now. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah, so Megan, where can everybody find you? Yeah, so I have a website where I just have information about the work I do and some of my old freelance work. So that is meganwebster.com, and like I was telling Sarita. My name is spelled the Irish way, so it's M-E-A-G-H-A-N and then Webster spelled normally dot com. And then I'm very active on Instagram sharing the behind the scenes of the work I do for my wineries as well as featuring some of the past freelance work I've done. So that's at Megan W Marketing with the same weird spelling of Megan. And those are probably the two best ways. But if you're interested in the wineries I work for currently, we're at District Winery and at Brooklyn Winery on Instagram.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. This was fantastic.
2: This was so fun. This was a really great way to end a day that has been tense in many other ways. So I really yeah. appreciate you having the time to talk
3: to you guys. Understood. Agreed.
2: Well, thanks
0: again. And you stay safe and have a great Thank you.
2: week. You guys. You too. See you so much. Right. <laughs> Thank
0: you.
3: Bye guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
0: Hey guys, this is a little after show. We were discussing businesses starting to open in the wine community and how they're going to do it.
1: So, like Ligonor, that has 12 to 16 wines on their tasting sheet. When, a, a person is not going to buy 16 bottles of wine mm-hmm. to try all of their wines. So, we need to figure out is Ligonor doing a flight or are they only doing one bottle? is Vino 301 going to offer buy like four bottles and do tastings for everybody. It's just that type of thing. Um, And then it's limited to, as of now, six people is in a group and they have to be six feet apart from one another to sit down and do an outdoor tasting. Mm -hmm. Um, So just trying to figure that out and it's, it's ever evolving. Yeah. So that that part is is stressful. And we've decided that we're only like you have to wear a mask in the vehicle. There's no options about that. We decided that we're gonna do temperature checks before you get on the vehicle. And then the other thing is figuring out since they can only do outdoor tastings, what if it rains? Mm-hmm. Like Are you SOL that day? You know, what are we going to do? So just trying to figure out where we fit in in this whole. So I'm not in a rush because the other thing is, you know, people are running out there like there was nothing, like there wasn't a coronavirus at all. And so we all know that, it, you know, two weeks incubated and then numbers are going to go up. Hospital beds are going to go up. So I just don't want to put my team at risk. Yeah. So it might I not
3: necessarily, because do... we've been out for a while now. We got out May 11th, mm-hmm. and um, our numbers are steadily going down. Uh, restaurants excellent. restaurants with terraces can open tomorrow. Um, mm-hmm. But outdoor air parks opened over the weekend, and people feel the parks, like, up. Mm-hmm. Because people before were just outside, like, just standing on the street, like, just sitting on a curb. It was crazy, but um, and uh, schools have opened back for mm. um some students. Wow, so that is uh, Okay, yeah. Okay. So and our numbers are um stable, and so going see, down. ours
1: have gone up, and I don't know if ours have gone up because there are more testing, mm. right? Which naturally, that would naturally go up because more people test it. Like our yes. president, I like our like, Serena's <laughs> president said. If <laughs> If you don't test, then the numbers won't go up. <laughs> right. <laughs> don't just don't get tested. Don't just test it. Don't but just, yeah, we're, I mean, tested. people
3: here were about to just, they, were, they weren't going to follow the rules anymore. So at, at a point, it's just like, you have to figure out how you're going to live with this. Like, they not staying home. They were going to yes. sit outside. They were going to go where they wanted to go. They were mm-hmm. going to drive around. They were going to get on the train. They were taking a bus. So they had to make some rules to make it, uh okay and to give them some kind of regulations uh, for it and that's they did and it seemed fine we'll see how it goes with the um restaurants when they open the uh, for outdoor seating tomorrow all Mm -hmm. the ones that don't have outdoor seating i mean good luck to them um, yeah because dio
0: um i don't know if y'all saw dio's um instagram post no you know because once the dc opened outdoor spaces friday and I guess a lot of people were contacting Dio, like, what about y'all? Are y'all going to open or da-da-da? Um, because it's one of the cutest, you know, wine bars. Yeah. <clears throat> and they, 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 they posted an apology, like, we don't have enough space for outdoor seating. Our, you know, we have the door, then it's the curb. It's not safe for you to sit on a curb on a public street. Yeah, we just don't, really. they just don't have the space for it. So, yeah. you know, until they have to wait longer. You know,
1: yeah, it's like Annapolis, and this is the other thing it's you know, a lot of this is so political because Mm -hmm. restaurants have to get a permit to put outdoor Mm -hmm. seating there, you just can't put a couple of tables, yeah, you're right, chairs and go. So, Annapolis said for those restaurants that don't already have outdoor seating that they're considering closing down some of the streets between certain hours.
0: Oh, wow, yeah,
1: so that's um, very nice, isn't it? The, the main street like the main sh- drag yeah, right they know, you know they yeah. yeah could could put out seats so they could start serving people but it's oh, I mean the one thing about this whole thing is if you don't have a creative mind yeah. you you will just die And not even just a creative mind,
3: but like actual fortitude to see it through. Yes. Like not talking yourself out of it because that's Mm -hmm. a lot of the problem that has happened here. I'm like, y'all got to think outside of the box. Yeah, I'm sure they're very traditional it. there in France. And they have such a, unfortunately, negative mindset. They're like, mm. oh, we can't do this. Or, oh, that can't be done. i uh-huh. like, oh, shoot, this can't happen. Yeah. Like now, once, you know, the city just started opening back up on May 11th, a lot of restaurants are like, all right, we're about to do takeaway. Like, okay, we can't open up as a restaurant. Let's do takeaway. Some yes. restaurants still didn't want to do that. Because they're like, oh, we got to order all this stuff for takeaway. And then we don't know how much to cook every day because everything is super fresh. And we don't know how to do this. I'm like, if y'all just came up with three dishes that you made. And, and people that's it. Yes. Those three, yeah. Mm-hmm. Three most, most popular dishes. Working right. Out. Or three new dishes with some fresh ingredients. I'm like, do you realize how many people don't want to cook anymore mm-hmm. and will eat out? You know, I ate out the whole first week. I was like, I'm not cooking another thing. I was like, I'm gonna give y'all all my nickels. Like, I'm not cooking. I'm not washing another dish.
1: Yeah, I I, I think so. I went down to um, National Harbor to pick up lunch today, mm-hmm. which I hadn't done in a long time, and there were people sitting outside eating. Yeah, well, there were people sitting out there eating. So. Cause yeah. people don't want to
3: be in the apartment no more, especially mm-hmm. here. These tiny apartments, like every yeah. like, unless you have money, money.
1: Yeah.
3: Parisian apartments are just small, definitely compared to American homes. Mm-hmm. And so people don't want to sit in their home anymore, and honestly, they don't want to necessarily be inside of a restaurant either. So takeaway and sit outside in the park, on the river, on the canal, yeah. in a square, mm-hmm. on I mean, on the sidewalk. Like they don't care on some steps. Yeah. They're
1: just like, oh, is this outside? I'm going
3: to sit here. That's it. Mm-hmm. And especially with the
1: weather today. Yeah. Yeah, it's gorgeous today. It is, yeah. The weather's so, it's been so nice that, you know, it hasn't been hot around here, so that has been the nice. blessed too yeah that is, yeah. That blessing. is meanwhile
0: it's supposed to be in the 90s on thursday so we were are you gonna, serious uh, yeah so we're just gonna enjoy this while it lasts oh here i think it's supposed to rain so we're taking the turn the wrong way <laughs> but i had on a sweatshirt this morning isn't it it's june right
1: i know well, can you that's the other thing i can't believe it's june
0: yeah but the summer's over just we'll yeah. try again next year
3: just try again
1: 2020 now, is a wash I mean so, we just already we, set
3: it up yeah. like for the summer me and some friends here have just said we're going to discover France so we're just oh, gonna re- are, so nice. like just drive around France because I love that. like we can't leave so we're gonna yeah. go to Provence I got a friend in the Loire who has been talking about um, I mean her who has friends Vietnam in the Loire that she has and um you know she has chickens that she raises so I'm like, all right, we're gonna kill a couple and fry them. I mean, we can do this. <laughs> we can do this. She also brews beer, so Ooh, that's perfect. Emily, she was on the show. Remember? Oh yeah, with the the farm, yeah. the yeah. yeah,
0: farmers market.
3: Yep. I so love it. Her trying to plan a time to um go down there and uh, see her and just also just to not be in Paris. I have yeah. not been this locked up. Yeah in the apartment and then in the city for so long so now i'm like i gotta pay free
1: so yes oh the other thing if anybody who is in maryland the distilleries can you can go and get cocktails yes yeah so go cocktails you can yes you can go and get to go cocktails yeah. So, which is, I hope not they keep something- that rule
3: in place because I know they did it just for this. I hope they exactly. keep it in place because mm-hmm. this is showing how much money they can make, yeah. how yes. much money they can pay in taxes, and how mm-hmm. people are still governing themselves accordingly and um, yeah, according to the law.
1: So, and they have changed the <laughs> law to allow you to do direct to consumer for beer and spirits. It was limited. Wine, and now you can purchase online. That's a game game changer. Oh, Mm -hmm. yeah, definitely. That is a
3: game changer. That is. And I hope they 300 years to change it from, um,
1: yeah, for wine. I hope they, you know, if nothing else, I hope the legislators, our quote unquote leadership, see that we didn't go to hell. I mean, kind (laughs) of, we
3: did. I mean, we did, but not because of to go out. Right,
2: exactly. Right. exactly. Yeah. That helped us there survive. Were
1: there were other reasons mm-hmm. for that. Yeah. yeah, so I think that's, a, I agree, it's a complete game changer. And I hope they keep this in line. Mm-hmm. And, Sarita, I'm not sure when you're posting this, but tomorrow, June 2nd,
3: mm-hmm.
1: is the primary election in Maryland please make sure you vote because it's more than just the um, presidential, but it's the judges who set a lot of laws. So make sure people vote.
0: Yeah. Yeah. In DC too. Oh Oh, man. But Tanisha, you have been discovering Paris. I like your videos and your pictures and stuff. Mm -hmm. Thank
3: you. Yeah, I've been kind of getting out and it's so nice in some places it's, it's so much, it's not quiet, because it's still a trillion people who live here, but with no tourists, mm-hmm. it is a much different city. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, sure. There's no tourists here, because can't nobody, can't nobody get here.
2: Yeah. So, that was a nice is appreciation,
3: a
1: yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. much different.
3: Yeah, Going past yeah. the Louvre, seeing that, seeing the street in front of the Louvre empty, usually that street is so crowded with cars and people. buses and everything now it's like bikes scooters
1: and people are just enjoying it it's it's nice have you had any sympathy protests there in um in france no they're supposed to be having
3: one tomorrow because apparently there was a situation here that happened not too long after george floyd and so that picture has been circulating around on french twitter oh wow Um, Because, yeah, police brutality is a problem for um, Black and brown people here. So Mm -hmm. they were doing it for Floyd and then for Adama, which is another person, which is like a French Trayvon Martin situation um, that happened here. And so they're trying to get uh, justice for that. But the problem is not um, allowing large gatherings. And so the permits are not being approved because clearly we're going to protest with more than 10 people. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. Right some people saying we still gonna do it and i'm like yeah like i know the french people uh get down with it and they'll mess around and have like the police out with the riot gear rolling and throwing tear gas and because but they did do large demonstrations over the weekend the gilets Jaunes, they're back and so they were protesting and demonstrating on saturday so clearly covid does not affect them
0: thanks for joining this well sweet guys don't forget to like and subscribe and please give us comments on itunes it makes us look good um also a big shout out to everybody on the front lines during the protest um we are praying for your safety as you return home um it's a tough time for everybody especially us and um we're with you stay strong Cheers!